0: Welcome to the Housetop Podcast, the teaching arm of Oikos Ministries. Jesus said, Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light, and what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. Join our host, Terrell Aber as he teaches God's Word. Good evening. Welcome to uh, Oikos Ministries Facebook Live. We want to Welcome you back. We've been off for a few weeks. Uh, I've been out of town and, but uh, we're back. And so we're ready to get with a brand new study and a new series. Uh, we've gotten great reviews over the last series on uh, um, basically suffering loss and dealing with grief and seeing God heal the brokenhearted. And uh, if you would like to get up to date on that, uh, you could visit our website www.housechurchesusa.com and go on our audio or video sections, the book sections. You can read it, hear it a lot of different ways, and we'd love for you to be blessed by those teachings. So uh, it's my prayer that eventually we'll have that in book form, and we can get that to you. Tonight we're going to start on a series called The Sermon on the Mount. It's very dear to my heart. When you open the Scripture uh, in the New Testament, you open your New Testament, and the, one of the first things you're going to come to is the book of Matthew. And... You don't have to read very long and then you'll find yourself right here in the first teachings of Christ as he started his earth, earthly ministry. And so if you really look at it, I think I'm, I'm so grateful for the that Matthew, I, I, although Matthew wasn't the first gospel that was written. It's the first gospel that appears when we open our New Testament. And so really the book of Mark would have had that uh, that honor of being the first gospel written. But when you deal with it, the, the first thing we see is Matthew from a Jewish perspective. And I appreciate that, especially now, because the greatest problem in the first century church began the argument that literally was trying to blend Judaism with Christianity. And, and uh, it was really the most problematic thing. If you read your epistles, you're going to find that solving that issue throughout the early church uh actually they didn't solve it, they didn't resolve it. In the Christian thinking they had resolved it, but uh it was just such a demonic onslaught that it I believe it infiltrated and, and literally by three hundred seventeen AD during the Constantinian reforms, then you find yourself where literally the law and grace, the old and new testaments were totally blended together, and they've lived that way ever since, even throughout the Reformation and unto the present time. And so we have this, uh, this uh, issue where we've all been affected by a blended old and new covenant. And you, somebody said, no, not me. I'm pure new covenant. No, I, I'm, I'm telling you, if you worship in a traditional New Testament church in this generation, I'm telling you, you're in an old t- covenant structure. You're not in a new covenant structure and chances are and most likely it has been blended doctrinally and structurally. Uh, we're, we're in that way. And most people would say, well, no, because of the Reformation, now we understand it's by grace only and that kind of thing. But look, nothing happened in the Reformation except for we created a million new popes and that's about it. And so basically we have stayed with a Roman Catholic, uh, structure and basic doctrine, which is highly infiltrated by Judaizers and Judaism. And so we can look at that and and know that. Uh, You have to settle that in your own heart. Uh, I believe there's a clarion call in the book of Revelation that says, come out of her, my people. And I believe it's directive right to that. And it's not just of Roman Catholicism. It's in evangelical, used to be Protestant, but evangelical structures as well. So when you get into your New Testament, Matthew is a Jewish writer. And in almost every chapter, I'm not going to say every chapter because I know in chapter 10 and 14 and I think 18, there's not not 18, several of them that you go on, I think there's five or six chapters where it doesn't literally say it fulfilled, thus fulfill the word Uh, that was written in the scripture. So Matthew felt adamant about using the old Testament scripture to prove that Jesus is the Christ. This is a method of teaching and preaching to preach Christ meant to take the old Testament and proclaim that Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ, the son of the living God. And it would fulfill all the old Testament prophecies concerning Christ and the coming of the Christ, the anointed. And so, uh, He is that prophet that Moses spoke of. So when we hit the ground running in the book of Matthew chapter 1, you see the genealogy of Jesus and then the birth of Christ in uh, chapter 2. We come to chapter 3 and all of a sudden we have John the Baptist, the forerunner, the one that Isaiah spoke of, and he's proclaiming, repent for the kingdom of God's at hand. Well, here comes Jesus, he's baptized by John in the Jordan, and uh, then he is immediately led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And it's from there after that great temptation in the wilderness that Jesus overcome the wicked one and literally began his earthly public ministry. And again, we see just the, the powerful impact he began to have instantly as he was filled with the Holy Ghost from his baptism. Now, when we get to the Fifth chapter, Jesus sits his disciples down and he begins to teach. We're going to pick it up in chapter five, verse one and and literally, this is right off the bat, three full, powerful chapter five, six, seven, three full chapters I had to count uh full chapters of Jesus. all the words are in red. it's just Jesus talking and i and I have to say that in the earliest days of my conversion, you know, of course, I start reading my New Testament, and when I get right here the Sermon on the Mount, I was so moved by every word Jesus said on there. It was like uh, it was the most powerful, impacting thing that could have ever happened. And I still am very moved when I read these chapters. And I think it's just tremendous. And every Christian should have this in their spirit. And as you see today, this this teaching tonight develop, I, I think you're going to understand why I'm going to put so much emphasis on on this Sermon on the Mount. And so in chapter 5, verse 1, let me read through what we're going to deal with tonight, and we'll go back and walk through it. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in in, uh, heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out, to be trodden under foot of men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it gives light to all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. And glorify your father, which is in heaven. What a wonderful beginning and launch. And from then on, he will begin to contrast the teachings of Christ versus what the law said. And we'll get to that next week. But to start tonight, we have the nine blessings in the Sermon of the Mount. Many call that the Beatitudes and uh, but the blessing, the nine blessings, you know, I've noticed that there are three sets of nine in Scripture that I think are very important to us. This is one of them. Uh, if we were to look at the others, that would be the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12 and the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter five. And so if we could, let, let's just uh, build on this just for a second before we even get into it. So I can build a case for what I, I'm, I'm wanting to say in chapter First uh, Corinthians uh, 12 verse. Excuse me, First Corinthians chapter 12, verses four and five, I believe. I'll start from verse one. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, I would not have you to be ignorant. It's always amazing that when the Apostle Paul says, "I don't want you to be ignorant," that's the things we're we're Most ignorant of, you know that you were Gentiles carried away unto these dumb idols even as you were led. Wherefore, I give unto you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, that no man can say that Jesus is Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. Now, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. Notice that, diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which works all in all. Now, 1 Corinthians 12 goes on to talk about the gifts of the Spirit. He says there are diversities of gifts, but one spirit, one Holy Spirit. And he talks about the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not going to get into a teaching on the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit tonight. That's not what we're doing tonight. But if we took this further, we look at the the, what I want you to see is that the Holy Spirit gives a diversity of gifts. There's nine gifts given by the Holy Spirit. And in chapter, he goes on to say there are. Uh, differences of administrations or ministry, but one Lord. And I believe we could turn to Ephesians four. We're not going to do that tonight either. And we would see the ministry gifts that are given by Jesus Himself. So the Holy Spirit gives gifts. Jesus gives gifts. Now there's only a fivefold, what we call the fivefold or fourfold ministry, however how you want to interpret that, that are given in Ephesians chapter four. But when we look at the next one, and there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which works all in all. And so now we have three breakdowns there of that the Holy Spirit gives gifts, Jesus Himself gives ministry gifts, and it says that the operations uh, are, are from God, that the, the workings uh, that are, are, are the in-workings given by God Himself. I want to make a, a statement right off. We'll go back to Matthew 5 right now. I, I don't want us to get bogged down in those other listings there. Remember, nine blessings in the Beatitude, nine gifts of the Holy Spirit, nine fruit of the Holy Spirit, uh, Galatians 5. But then we have another breakdown, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Spirit gives gifts. The Son gives ministry gifts. Another distinct difference here. But I believe that the commonality in all Christianity comes from the operations of God. And I really believe this to be the, the new birth. I really believe this to be that the Father, what makes you a father? You have children. And so the Father is producing sons and daughters. And I want you to pay careful attention to that as I build this in chapter five. Watch carefully. We're back in Matthew five. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Notice right off the bat, poor in spirit. Now, what does that mean? The poor in spirit could simply be called humble. That the the poor, the poverty, beverly, a beggarly idea from the word poor—that's uh, what it would really stand for—a beggarly attitude. But the poor in spirit—that's uh, we could put spirit slash heart—that it's it's person a, a, really a person who has been humbled in heart, the broken or the contrite heart. Uh, you know, if somebody doesn't have any money, we say, well, they're broke. Well, if you, if you, uh, if your pride is, if you have no more pride, you're broke. Thank God we need some broken people out there. We need to be broke. America's terrible at this. America is so, uh, uh steeped in pride that we literally think we're proud of our pride, uh, you know, proud of our humility even. We, we, we really don't even understand how much of the arch enemy of God this is. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When you begin to see that those of a, God said he dwells with those who have a broken and a contrite spirit, he's near to them. Where he says he resists the proud, but he giveth grace to the humble. And so we see that, that literally God will resist and push away the proud heart, but he's near to it. He said he even ascribes it to, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We're literally talking about an entrance into the kingdom of heaven. Now, hear it carefully. Remember what I was telling you. Matthew 1, we get the genealogy of Jesus. Chapter 2, we get the birth of Jesus. Chapter 3, here comes John the Baptist fulfilling the prophecy. Isaiah, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, the forerunner demanding, prepare you the way of the Lord. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So here the king of the kingdom shows up on the scene and here's the teachings of our king beginning a whole new covenant with mankind. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Think this through, folks. When we, when we rise up in pride of any proud heart, any, uh, and it's a terrible thing. It says that, that, that we get to the place in our Christian walk where we forget where we came from. And it's time to humble ourselves. This is the wonderful thing. We can humble ourselves in the sight of God. And we should really seek to do that on a continual basis. But when he says, blessed are you, when we think of the word blessed, it's such a, a, an idea of favored, of, of great grace given, of uh, you're uh, really fortunate, of great fortune, uh, happy. Uh, we see this and, and it, it's scary terms to use that in the idea that so many have mingled humanism with Christianity today. I take care on how I portray that and to just put happier those because a lot of people think you live for your own happiness. And I, I want to tell you that humanism says that the, the reason you exist is for your own happiness. You should always seek to be happy. That's humanism, and it's really against God. I really believe it's what Antichrist is trying to do. Even the spirit of Antichrist is trying to do where he sets up in the own heart of man, uh, showing himself that he's God, and we literally try to be pleased by everything. We act like we're our own gods and it's a terrible scenario. But the, uh, the whole point of Christianity is that the philosophy of humanism, you exist for your own happiness. The philosophy or the, really the, the heart of Christianity, we are here for God's glory our happiness is irrelevant it's a byproduct it is not the prime product certainly god does things that makes us very happy and we don't want to confuse circumstantial happiness with the consistent joy that the holy ghost gives that's two different things uh, happiness can come and go like an emotion but when we have the cons- the constant of joy and i believe the same thing is implied here in the in the in the blessings of the uh, sermon on the mount here That this is not circumstantial. This is a a way of life. This is the beginning of the new birth. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Part number two, blessed are they that mourn, they shall be comforted. When we come with a broken heart, the, the poverty spirit that we have literally become bankrupted in the heart. The weeping cometh. The lamenting comes. We're certainly grieved over our past sin. And we can certainly get that settled as we are <clears throat> confirmed and reaffirmed that we are forgiven. We, we, we have these experiences with God, if you would, through His Word and by faith in the Word of God. And then by the Holy Ghost, we have these affirmations that come from God and this supernatural uh, peace the supernatural joy the supernatural begins to uh literally comfort us in those who mourn we may not lament over our own past sin and then we begin to lament and mourn over the lostness of others and so there's this perpetual grief if you would if you're a born again believer and I believe this is the operation of God I believe literally that what we see in these nine blessings of the Beatitudes is that this is the the DNA of our new birth. And this is the expectation that when a person is born of God and enter this new covenant, this is what folks should see. And I'll get back to that in a few minutes. Blessed are those who mourn. We have this heart that, that looks at those where... Think of the weirdness. Happy are those who mourn. That's two different things, isn't it? Well... No, there's, a, it's an elation, if you would, that we look at the cross where, where, where mercy and truth kiss each other, where, where the fact that the holiness of God is appeased by the death of his son, but the mercy of God is loosed abroad by the same death of his son, giving salvation to multitudes. And so mercy and truth truly kiss each other at the heart of Jesus when we stare at the cross. And if we want to make an observation right there on the pivoting point of the the heart of Christ, this is where mercy and truth give the biggest kiss. It's because God's holiness is satisfied that death to the sinner has happened. But Christ took that for me and you and now has extended mercy to all and mercy and truth certainly We have that at the cross of Christ. So when we look at that, we grieve on the idea that my sin killed Jesus. We grieve over the idea of what we've done and offended God's holiness and that we killed Christ ourselves. We killed him. We grieve over that aspect that sin is in us and death by sin. And we grieve over the 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 terrible state we're in. But then, uh, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And at the same time, the, the 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 holy grace that comes on us there in that limiting condition as God's salvation pours in and all the forgiveness comes in. Oh, what a wonderful thing. Blessed are those who mourn, they shall be comforted. And then when our life is lived to see those who are also in a lost state come to Christ, we mourn over those, we weep over those, who are lost and we do what we can to bring them to Christ. Blessed are you who are mourning because you shall be comforted. And listen, the more the comforting, it's the same word player. it's for the Holy Spirit that literally the Holy Ghost dwells here. And folks, hear me carefully if you 've been a Christian for any amount of time and you may agree with what i 'm saying so far, hear me carefully if you 've ceased to share your faith with other people, I want to tell you you 're grieving the Holy Spirit right now you 're losing the source of all comfort. It, it, basically, the Holy Ghost is going to dwell with them who are going to talk about Jesus. hear it carefully, you want to absolutely declare your faith to other people, and the Holy Ghost is going to stay right there to help those who who also have a broken heart, you're bringing that reconciliation of God to them. And the Holy Spirit gets all over that and makes you a minister, an ambassador of reconciliation to other people. Blessed are those who mourn. They should be comforted. This should be absolutely part of the entire Christian walk. It starts in the DNA of the new birth, but it literally stays with us throughout. All of these should stay blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. These should stay. These are characteristics now. This gets in the DNA. We are becoming partakers of that divine nature of God. I defy you by any sense of the word. You cannot will this to happen. You can't just read this and say, Oh, I know that. Now I'll have a broken heart. No, you won't. I'll be poor in spirit. No, you won't. I will be more. No, you won't. I want to tell you. You cannot in the human condition will this. This is not born by the will of man. It's not born by the will of flesh. It's born by God. This is the DNA of the new birth. Stay with it. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Meek is so closely akin to humble, but it's different. And the idea, especially when we deal with the idea of two very famous Bible characters, one Moses and one Jesus, Moses is ascribed to Moses that said there was no meeker man on all the earth. And when you think of Moses who could literally, wow, think of a part of the Red Sea. Come on, man. Moses, even in the flesh, he killed the Egyptian soldier. He was a pretty tough sucker. I mean, Moses was, he led three to six million Jews through the wilderness for 40 years. <coughs> he met with God. He saw God. Come on, man. But he had, a, <coughs> excuse me. He had all this strength under power. It was subdued. <coughs> he was the strongest man on the planet at his time. Yet a little child could deal with him. <laughs> Moses was meek. Jesus himself said, I am meek and lowly of heart. And when we think about The power of Jesus Christ who laid hands on the sick and they recovered. He opened blind eyes. He raised the dead. He cast out devils with his word wherever he went. Everything you want to talk about control. He commanded the room. He commanded the city. He commanded everywhere you went. You had to deal with Jesus. If he showed up, it don't matter if Herod was there, it didn't matter if The high priest was there. It didn't matter what the holy day was. The high day was. It didn't matter. You had to deal with Jesus, the Christ, the son of the living God. Yet he himself said, I am meek and lowly in heart. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I'm meek and lowly of heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Blessed are the meek. What a word. Blessed are the meek. You see, Americans kind of loathe this kind of spirit. We talk about a gentle spirit. We're talking about a a, a person who has toned down their strengths in order to be fair with others. Right? We're talking about, turn with me to Psalm 37. This is so cool. Oh, I got choked, excuse me. We'll start reading the 10th verse. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall not be. Yea, though, yet thou shalt di- diligently consider his place, and it shall not be. But the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Wow. The wicked plotteth against the lust. Uh, uh against the just and gnashes. Oh, God, I got to put my glass. I'm so sorry, folks. I can't see, can't talk, can't see. we in trouble anyway. <clears throat> the wicked plotted against the just and gnashed upon him with his teeth. The Lord shall laugh at him for he sees that his day is coming. Um, look at verse 22. For such as be blessed of the hymn shall inherit the earth and they shall that sh- be cursed of him shall be cut off. You can go back and read this, but numerous times in here, it talks about the meek inheriting the earth. Now, what he's ascribing to is the idea that one day this earth is going to all be burned up. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. And I want to tell you that the meek of the earth are going to inherit this. Folks, when we start seeing the character of God begin to build inside of a man who is no longer walking in the pride of his own heart and the lusts of his own heart, When we see people who have literally taken on the nature of God, that's exactly what the new birth does. God, our father, puts his word, his seed in us and births something very holy. And at the very inception to a rank sinner, when the holy God comes into our heart, the broken heart ensues. It comes right with this and the heart begins to break and, and and all that lamenting, that mourning, we begin to mourn, and we tone ourselves down. I mean, who thinks they could stand up and 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 literally uh, slap God on the back and say, "Hey, Halls, how you do?" It doesn't work that way. He's God. And we've lost all the reverential awe on him. We've literally lowered him down by defining God in the kind of love of human terms. And we've we've defined God in in the lowliest of, of terms of love. It's not even agape what they're calling God these days. And, and literally we've brought him down. We've humanized. We've created another God who's not the God of the Bible. When we think about walking into the presence of God, look, who the proud look, he, he despises it. He doesn't like arrogancy. He does, he doesn't like the haughty spirit. And what do you think you're going to do? Bow up? I, I, I tell you. You those who unbelievers who mock and are in defiance rise up, you, you'll not do so in the presence of God. Oh, uh, jump on it as you will right now. You boast away until you get in the presence of the Most High. One day your knee will bow. Your tongue will confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Even if it's on your way to hell, you will confess it. Blessed are the meek. For they shall inherit the earth. God will give a new heaven and a new earth. And I'm going to tell you what, the meek are going to own it. It's ours. Come on, somebody. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Now, look, this weekend I was teaching in in a couple of different house churches on the grace of God. I was just astounded. I almost didn't teach on this tonight because of that. I wanted to go and teach again on the grace of God because it got so good to me uh, to preach on God's grace or teach on God's grace in in especially contrasting it in the backdrop of a false grace that has permeated our society. And to teach the true grace of God was just literally a joy to me. I personally had so much peace and joy in that teaching this weekend. I wanted to continue it, and I and I just may go back to it after we get done with this, but when he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they shall be filled. Think this through now. We deal with our appetites all the time. We deal with the physical appetites of man. There are three, I gotta be careful, three very basic, absolute human needs of appetite. Number one, we need food and water. Number two, we need sleep. Number three, we need to reproduce. These are three innate, placed in by God, created into us by the creator, that we have this built in into it. They're very strong cravings. You could even call them lust. We have a desire to eat. We have a desire to sleep. We have a desire to reproduce. These are very powerful and strong, and literally they become the stomping ground of most of our temptation. But blessed are those who hunger and thirst For the righteousness of God that basically I'm not just trying to fill my gut. I'm not just trying to sleep and and, and take my ease. I'm not just trying to have my sexual pleasure. I am trying to live the right way God wants me to live. I want his divine influence on my heart reflected into the life. Come on. I'm hungry to live like that. You see, grace is defined in our generation as some substandard pathetic apology of like, you know, we're all sinners. All we do, we're a bunch of sloppy pigs and we just sin all the time. And that's what grace is for. We're just forgiven people. No, that is not what grace is. That is a perversion of grace given by men who are ordained to a damnation. And I'm telling you, it's not the grace that God teaches. No, no. Blessed are you who hunger and thirst. I mean, can you think about it? When you think about I'm hungry for some food, I want some water. I want to sleep. I'll not do, not. I want to reproduce. We think of those absolute driven physical needs in mankind. But when this turns into the spirit of man, when the man, when the, the new heart and the new spirit of the new covenant gets inside of man, all of a sudden his craving and desire is to display the right life that God wants us to live. Mm-hmm. And it is epitomized by the life of Jesus, the Christ, the son of the living God. Grace is empowering us to live like Jesus when you hunger for the daily bread of God's word. When we thirst for the living water of Christ and his spirit that out of our belly would go rivers of living water. When we begin to crave the cravings of God, when we want what he wants, it says you shall be Filled. Think of this, you empty hearted person. Look at you trying to crave. You're stuffing everything in your mouth. You can you sleep unended sleep. You just want to sleep all the time and you never get enough rest. It's not sleep you need. You're depressed. What you need to be is filled with God. Look at the, the perversion in sexuality, the, the, the demonic craving and lust in the the twisted perversion on sexuality in our generation and pornography and 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 hookup culture and 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 now every shameful act you can think of going on, look man, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. they shall be filled satisfied, literally stuffed slap full. ha come on, man. It's like that second bowl of gumbo. Ton amo, framas, I say Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. You see, mercy isn't some idea, just a feeling. The Bible says Jesus was moved with compassion. He saw the multitudes. They looked like sheep having no shepherd, they were lost and scattered. He was moved. With compassion, inwardly, he was compassionate. There was certainly a feeling of emotion, a stirring inwardly. But he wanted to have mercy on, oh, I want these folks to be gathered. I want these folks to be touched. I want to give them mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Folks, When you and I receive the mercy of the cross and it becomes the guiding light, God gave me mercy. You could never be arrogant another day in a sober life. Hear me carefully. How can someone who has been God rolled up? his pristine, holy arm and reached into the dung of your filth and raised you up, cleaned you off, dressed you in a white garment. How can you ever one more day look at someone else and say, I, do, I loathe this one or that one? Come on, you have the stink of death on you. And God cleaned you. He had mercy on you when you deserved hell and damnation. Blessed are the merciful, go do likewise. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. When we become, when we receive mercy and become merciful people, we will also continue to receive the mercies of God. Not only from God, but other people will be merciful to you. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now I want you to think about this idea, the pure in heart. That literally the clean heart, you know, no man knows the spirit that's in the man, that no man knows the heart of man except the spirit that's within the man. Nobody. My, my wife and I, Diane and I were just talking about this before. Someone had said, can the devil read your mind? I personally don't believe he can literally just read your mind. I believe he's very masterful. At knowing our thoughts, because we show him, we have a tell. Uh, we 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 literally reveal. He looks at every slightest thing of what we reveal, and and he works it. And he'll now he'll introduce thought to us because thought begins in the heart until so he introduce a heart. Especially if he thinks that's a hot button, he'll just introduce it to you. He can argue with you in the mind, but I don't believe he can read the mind. And I've even with Diane and I were talking. We were even wonder, would God have? Possibly, limited himself in his own omniscience to not read our minds. It's just a thought. I'm not trying to go there or or, or make a doctrine here. It's just a thought because of the communion we enjoy. There's a verse in chapter in Corinthians, First Corinthians, chapter two, and it says, "No man knows the heart of man except the spirit which is in the man." Neither the heart of God. No man knows the heart of God except the spirit which is in God. The Holy Spirit knows the heart of God. God's spirit knows his heart. I just wonder out of a courtesy to our humanity, does God limit himself and say, okay, I'm not going to go into your thoughts. I want to commune with you. Tell me what's in your heart. I just wonder. Mm-hmm. I know the heart is deceitful and, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? God said, I try the heart. It doesn't say he omnisciently... Anyway, just something to think about. It's no, but but I want you to see it. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. What I was getting at is this. We have a private world inside of us. And in our communication, we do our, (laughs) we filter it. We we basically pick and choose how we communicate what's in our heart of hearts. Think that through. No man really knows your heart except you and who you choose to reveal it to, and how clear you want to reveal that to someone else. The Bible talks about confessing the fault and confessing those things of our confessing our sin. And I think we uh, do our best to be transparent on those issues. But again, we're, our communication can be somewhat limited, sketchy, whatever it may be. But the fact is, blessed are the pure in heart. When we talk about the clear heart, A heart that has no reservation. You see, a heart that is so clean, a heart that has been so clean by the work of Christ that the blood of Jesus, we're so convinced that the blood of Jesus is so powerful, it has cleansed my heart to where I have nothing in my conscience that would hold me back from going right up to God. This is a very strong thought that the worshiper once cleared would have no more conscious of sin that we have perfected for the, that the blood of Jesus has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. And when we think about the work of the blood of Jesus to cleanse the heart, the heart of man's a fickle thing. But the Bible says, starting in the book of Jeremiah, repeated in uh, Hebrews chapter eight and in chapter 10. And this is the covenant that I shall make with you. A new heart and a new spirit will I give unto you. I will take out the stony heart from out of your flesh and put in a heart of flesh and I will put my laws into your hearts and I will write them on your minds and I will forgive your sins and iniquities and remember them no more. Folks. When we start talking about the work of the new birth, I believe that every one of these beatitudes are an evidence of something so divine. The DNA of the of, the, of God Himself begins to touch. This is humanly impossible. You cannot will it. Discipline yourself. You can't do it. It's a work of God. It's by the eternal blood of Jesus Christ and the eternal spirit of God and his word in us doing something that is humanly impossible. And if you don't think so, join me next week and we're going to put this thing so off the chart. We're not going to, we're just going to tell you how Jesus did it. Well, look carefully. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Unless a man is born again, He cannot see the kingdom of God. You can't even see it. (laughs) Folks, I grieve right now. I lament right now for those who just by not. Oh, I know this. I know this. I know this. Yet have no experience from God that has brought this to fruition in you. It may be it, it may just make a greater damnation for you. This is either blessed or they who have these are damned if you don't. How can we just let this be a mental thing and say, oh, I know that. Isn't that nice? Isn't that nice? What Jesus, th- these are nice. These are inspirational quotes. Isn't that inspirational? Don't you feel good about what Jesus taught? I mean, think this through, folks. This is way past just learning something new. This is not some cognitive transfer of audible words, but when we start talking about the blessing of this sermon of the, this, the 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 inaugural address of the ministry of Jesus on earth, stay with it. Bless are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Wow, Father has children. Do you know the Pharisees accused Jesus? He said, "You." You call God your father making yourself equal with God didn't they say that that's a real thing he said that too you call God your father and that makes you equal with God now didn't Jesus to tell us to call God what father mm-hmm. our father which are, we just let that our father hey here we are our father like you know that's how we used to pray that now we look at it and say, our father wait a minute Something has happened. A new birth has transpired. Our father. I have a heavenly father that has birthed the divine in me. I've been made a new creature in Christ Jesus. I am partakers of the heavenly calling. I am a new creature. I am his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Stay with it. Blessed are the peacemakers. Folks, when I got born again, it started with a preacher talking. The, 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 the real, I mean, it'd take for an hour to, to, to talk about all of it. I'm going to start right here. That night, the tent meeting got rained out, and I was sitting there in that auditorium. We watched a film about the Mark of the Beast. And I think if there was ever a sinner on the planet, I was him sitting there in that meeting. And that preacher stepped up to the uh, microphone. I couldn't see him. I never could. I never to this day never laid eyes on that preacher. And he started talking about people who were in sin and every sin he named. I was guilty. And I literally thought someone told him I was there and told him to call me out. I was getting real antsy, real nervous because I was guilty of just about anything that man could have made up that night. And I remember he called folks forward. He said, what he said is, he said, you've been in this sin, but you need you need peace. And when that preacher said peace, it was so anointed by God, all I could say is I would give anything for peace. And I walked forward that night and said, Lord, give me what that preacher said. Give me that peace. I'll do whatever you tell me. Just give me that. And it took weeks for this to be settled in my own heart. But I remember that day, that I was sitting in my crane at the nuclear plant and I'd been asking God one question. Why did Jesus die? I knew that he did, believed it all my life. But when God answered that question, he said, Jesus took what you deserve. When the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart that way, my heart came unraveled. It broke so hard. I began to weep. I was so ashamed. I said, that's not fair. It's not right. It's not fair that Jesus would die for what I did. That is wrong. I I literally voiced my disapproval of such a, th- because it literally had shamed me down to a worm. I was lower than a worm. When you break the worm and the stuff, I was that. And I was, I was so humiliated. I was so horrified the injustice of it. And, and literally, the consequence, I was like, my, my, I should be in the lowest hell. And the love of God filled that place where I was sitting. And I was so ashamed of my sin, I would say, No, no, no. I, all I could feel was the presence of God. And somewhere in there, I mustered the courage to say, Please, God, forgive me. And man, God began to enter into me. And I would weep. I was weeping so hard it felt like all my sins were falling out of my eyes. And the more my sins would come out of my eyes, I was warmed. It was like all of a sudden the only word that can describe peace. I had peace, man. Blessed are the peacemakers. for They shall be called the children of God. I was born again that day and God put peace in my heart. Jesus said, my peace, I give you my peace. I leave unto you. Let not your heart be troubled. All of a sudden I had for the first time, I it's what I tried to smoke dope about. It's what I drank whiskey about. It's what I tried to satisfy this flesh with. I wanted peace all my life. And finally, The peace came. I was made right with God by the blood of Jesus Christ. I became a child of God. And here's what's really cool. From that time, because now I have peace, me and my wife have a great testimony. Wherever we go, we make peace. My house is full of peace. And when we go somewhere, peace is going to come. We make it. Not a peacekeeper, man. I didn't started more wars than you can dream of. But we keep peace. It don't come and go. It's just a constant. Hallelujah. There was a. I just got a few minutes. I, I won't. I was going to give you all the testimony. I'm going to just move on. Blessed are the peacemakers. You just ask yourself a question: When you walk into a room, do you bring peace or do you bring drama? Most of the internet world is listening to me. You ain't nothing but drama queens. Blessed are the peacemakers. See, again, I say the DNA of the new birth is right here in these blessings. Stay with it. Blessed are those which are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Notice this. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Now, I'm going to go and read the last one, too. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice, be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. (coughs) We have two distinct different blessings here. Both of them have to deal with persecution. Personally, I believe the first one. Blessed you were persecuted for righteousness sake. I believe this is the de- de- demonic persecution that is inherent with the new birth. That literally the spiritual warfare that ensues that when God calls you his son or his daughter, it's everything from hell trying to make you doubt that. You remember when Jesus got when Jesus got baptized by John, the Holy Spirit descended upon him in the form of a dove. And all of a sudden, a voice came from heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Woo! Immediately, the spirit drove him into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. You know, what the first thing devil said, if you be the son of God. What was on what was on trial? His sonship. If you be the son of, it was a demonic. Look, you talk about a demonic. Satan himself, he didn't send an imp. He didn't send some uh, general. He didn't send some uh, principality, power, might, or dominion. He himself came to Jesus and said, if you be the son of God, This is a demonic persecution that ensues on us. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. When God declares you not guilty in the courts of God, everything from hell comes after you. And Jesus said, blessed are you. What? What a blessing. Hallelujah. Come on with it. Hmm? Hell hates me. Glory be to God. I ain't worried about the devil. I'm concerned that my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. I want to be famous. <clears throat> Only in that sense. I'm glad the devil hates me. Hallelujah. Yes. So you shouldn't say that kind of stuff. Well, Jesus said blessed. <laughs> What's funny is people say, man, I got blessed. I got so much money. I'm blessed. People always think blessed means money. I mean, blessed to me means the devil. (laughs) I'm an overcomer. Come on, that's blessed. Then it says, blessed are you when men shall revive. See, there's two forms of persecution. The devil will come and attack everything in your mind. He'll attack your body. He'll attack your emotions. And it'll be demonic spiritual attack. It's called spiritual warfare. Lest are you and men, wait a minute, men. The only thing worse than devils are men. All right, one preacher, I heard one preacher say, we started casting the people out of demons now. <laughs> There's some people who don't need no help from the devil. You just wicked. Good news is even God can save even you. Hallelujah. Blessed are you, and men shall revile and perse- revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil falsely against you. For my sake rejoice and be exceeding glass, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. So if you have some kind of DNA of God inside of you and the testimony, you see the Bible says the spirit of pros- prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. When you carry in the testimony of Jesus inside of you, hear me carefully, that makes you a prophesier because you're carrying the testimony of Jesus in you. You got this DNA to back it up. You're living this out and you become, uh, well, they're going to persecute you. Let me just, let me tell you where that persecution is going to come from. Men, especially in the pulpit. And in the pew. They call them pews because they all stink. It's religion. It's where the persecution starts. Look, man, it would just break the devil's heart if somebody started persecuting (coughs) that wasn't some religious zealot. He needs religious people to kill Christians. It's what he does best. Jesus said, blessed are you when you get there. (coughs) Excuse me. All right, let me finish this up. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is therefore good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Now, I know there's a whole audience of people out there said, well, the salt could not lose its savior because, you know, once you got it, you can't lose it. Poor Jesus. I really need some Calvinists to correct Jesus. I can't wait till judgment when all the Calvinists line up and say, "Jesus, we could have made it. We could have cleared your thinking up." I want you to turn with me to Leviticus, second chapter. Class time again. All right. Starting verse 13 and every oblation of your meat offering shall you season with salt. Neither shall you suffer the salt of the covenant of thy God to be lacking from your meat offering with all your offerings. You shall offer salt. Look at there. So one of the things that's not very well or commonly spoken of Are very well known. Is the covenant of salt every sacrifice? And you think about it: when Solomon made all those sacrifices, or when uh, Josiah made all those, or Hezekiah made all. When all the sacrifice, all throughout the years, sacrifice, they put salt on the sacrifice. Now, let me explain this to you very carefully. Jesus is the sacrifice. All right and every generation who has the dna of the new birth in them is going to be the salt of the covenant to that generate you are the flavor of Christ's sacrifice you are the witness and you have to leave a good taste in the mouth of the hearer that they say no matter what they say that's the real deal right there huh Tell you what you do. Come down here to Louisiana and cook you a big old gumbo and don't put no salt in it. Or worse than that, uh, I I won't give you all the ingredients. Come out here and don't put no salt in something. And watch these Cajuns. Blasphemy! (laughs) Let me confess. I was on my trip to Wyoming just recently and I secretly bought some Tony's Season and put in my bag, because then people up there can't cook. I apologized to a girl named Caroline because she can cook, and I just hid the stuff, and it was kind of a shame that I even bought it because she could cook good. But I was ready to correct <laughs> Don't you think I wouldn't have thrown that Tony's down on everything? Uh, uh, come on, Louisiana, get to see the salt is good, but if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It's good for nothing but the dung hill. Do I need to under make you understand or explain dung, poo poo? A false Christian witness is poo poo. Oh, what I want to say. (laughs) Oh, wait, this salt don't taste good. Give me the salt bottle. Let's salt this salt and put... No, no, that ain't how it works, folks. Have salt in yourself. Read it in Mark chapter 2. Have salt in yourself. This is the DNA of the new birth. Let me show you something. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. The number two is the number of witnesses. This is the witness that God wants the world to see. And when the Holy Ghost has come, He shall bear witness. He shall testify of me and you also shall bear witness. Come on. What witness? Salt of the You have salt in you. You taste like it. When they taste of your life, when you show up, they're tasting the goodness of God through you. Or else they're smelling the dung of your stinking religion. Oh, I want to talk hard right now. Mm, I'm gonna be wholesome. Dung. If you've lost your Savior, and believe me, you can. Rise up in pride, and you'll start smelling like a like a porta potty in no time. And when you talk about Jesus, people go, oh. Man, he's You're acting like you're getting persecuted. You persecuting them. False witness, lying devil, living like a like a, like the world, and telling them about Jesus. You drunk, or you fornicating, you sinning, you cussing. You the worst worker on the job. You're a horrible witness, and you're gonna start talking about Jesus. Oh, come on, man. You smell like a porta potty. You smell like the honey wagon. The, that's the truck that just sucked out the poop out the porta potty. That's what the salt that lost its savor. Rise up in pride. Quit giving mercy. Show your strength and go bad to the bone. I, yeah, go ahead on. Bring your drama into the lunchroom and to the house and everywhere else and then tell people about Jesus. Man, shut your mouth. You stink. You fit for the poo poo hill. Y'all like that little sermon? You are the light of the world. You know, it says in another place, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. You know what makes you the light of the world? Jesus inside of you. Mm -hmm. all of a sudden you become the light of the world. Watch careful. A city that's set on a hill cannot be here. He is talking about the kingdom of God. We're talking about uh, polis, metropolis. We're talking about, multitudes of people that are a city set on a hill. We're talking about the kingdom of God, people who are diverse and all over the place who are filled with the DNA of the new birth. He wants them set on a hill, elevated, a mountain, a big place. He wants them seen. (coughs) No man lights a candle and puts it under a bushel, but he puts it on a candlestick. You know what Jesus called the candlestick? The church, an elevated position where those who have been eliminated can shine the glory of God. I don't preach myself into Pentecost right about now. Listen, when you get elevated, the church has lost its candlestick in our generation. There's nothing to be elevated because we smell like dung. We need to recapture the flavor and the savor of the covenant of salt where we have the sweet odors of God, where we become a sweet smelling savor in the nostril of God, then he'll begin to elevate us, folks. Watch careful. Now I ain't talking about multitudes right here. Watch careful. Verse 15, Neither do men set a, uh, light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it gives light unto all that are in the house. What? That's why I believe in house church right here. Let your light so shine before men. Here we go. That they may see your good work. Wait, what light? Letting the light shine is a good work. What light? When you get this DNA of these nine blessings, when you become complete in Christ and this begins to shine in you, shining the light of Jesus is called a good work. Come on. This is the witness God wants the world to see. It is the DNA of the new birth. The nine blessings of the Beatitudes. How many months does it take for a woman to have a baby? Nine. That's what I think it is. I don't, I'm not a woman. I hear that told, so I'll just go with cows do that. So, nine. It's a number of completion. Oh, God wants this DNA surging through our veins. He wants this to be the character, the very character, the very building block of everything else he's going to do in your life. Hallelujah. Mm -hmm. Come on, seek this new birth. And if you've lost this kind of flavor, come on, man. It's time to get back to the cross and humble yourself and get the smell where you can be the salt of the covenant. And the light of the world god bless you we'll see you next week we are so thankful that you joined us for this teaching today it's our sincere prayer that many of you would be born again through hearing god's word if you were blessed by this podcast we would love to hear from you for more information on oikos ministries visit us on our website www.housechurchesusa.com